Good morning. Usually every week I get up here and I welcome you all here at the Bay Area. Today, I'm just going to do this. Take a look. Take another look. It's not going to play, is it? Let me welcome you this morning. <laughs> we'll save it for next time. Let me welcome you this morning to Bay Area. We're glad that you're here. I had a little video, kind of a welcome thing. Um, it's going to fit in perfectly. Actually, you're going to think I planned this just this way. And you're going to be wrong, but go ahead and think it anyway. Let me start by telling you this. A Florida State fan is walking along a river one day. I, I just, I'm just getting started. Wait. And he looks across the river and he sees a guy wearing a Florida Gator shirt. So he yells across the river. He says, hey, buddy, how do I get to the other side of the river? And the Gator fan looks at him, kind of shakes his head, and finally yells back, you idiot, you are on the other side of the river. <laughs> Listen, I keep track, okay? I keep track of all the jokes I tell. And the last time I told a Florida, Florida State joke, it was the Florida State fan who ended up looking kind of like the fool. So, I'm an equal opportunity offender, okay? <laughs> and you don't have to find me after worship and tell me that the Steelers are winless. I get it, okay? <laughs> but the reason I tell you that uh, pretty lame joke is to get you to think of this question. How do I get to where I want to go? How do I get to where I want to go? Now, that's a question that we ask ourselves all the time through life. How do I get to where I want to go? When you're in school, how do I get to where I want to go academically? Well, you study hard. How do I get to where I want to go professionally? Work hard. How do I get to where I, you know, I, I want to go uh, financially? Well, save some money. Don't spend more than you earn. How do I get to where I want to go physically? Exercise, eat the right kind of foods. We all know the answer to those. How do I get there? question, right? The answers aren't hidden. It's not a mystery, how do I get there? The problem is, I don't want to do what it takes to get there. I know what the answer is. The problem's my commitment level. I know what I need to do, I just, I don't want to do it. Now, our ladies have spent this past weekend uh, in your ladies' retreat focusing really on how to get where we want to be. And I'm not talking about academically or physically, those kind of things. I mean, how do we get where we want to be in life as human beings? How do we get to be the person that we really want to be? And more specifically, how do we get to be the person that God really wants us to be? Paul wrote this in Romans chapter 8. So, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation whatsoever to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. Paul says, you don't have to be who you've always been. For if you keep on following it, talking about your sinful nature, if you keep on following it, you'll perish. But if through the power of the Holy Spirit you turn from it and its evil deeds, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. 
Our ladies were talking this past weekend in their retreat about the power of the Holy Spirit. That uh, theme is actually going to run through this morning. The power of the Holy Spirit. All who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. You want to get to where you really want to be? Do you want to become the person that God wants you to become? You're going to have to allow yourself to be led by the Holy Spirit. You're going to have to submit to the Holy Spirit's promptings. Now, what controls your life? Have you ever thought of that? What controls your life? Is it the sinful nature or the spirit? Because that passage says it can't be both. They can't coexist. So, So what's controlling your life? And most people, in fact, most Christians will say... I don't know. What controls my life? I don't, I don't think in those terms. I, I don't really, I can't tell you. Well, there's a litmus test. There's a way that you can decide what is controlling my life. And it's by just taking a look at what you're producing. What fruit you're bearing. You know, we've talked a lot about uh, the Spirit leading us into the kind of lifestyle that Paul talks about in Galatians 5. We call it the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Where God's Spirit wants to lead us. But if you were to ask most people, is, um, is that the kind of lifestyle that you desire? Most people would say, I guess. I don't know. I don't dwell on it. I don't think about it that much. Most people, and I think probably a lot of Christians, are a little bit ambivalent about, well, am I led by the Spirit or not? I don't know. Well, let me put it to you this way. If a life led by the Spirit results in those fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, all those things, what about a life that's not led by the Spirit? What would that look like? What would that be characterized by? Well, the opposite of love is hatred. And the opposite of joy is despair. And the opposite of peace is strife. The opposite of patience is frustration. I looked these up, by the way. The opposite of kindness is cruelty. The opposite of goodness is wickedness. The opposite of faithfulness is treachery. The opposite of gentleness is merciless. The opposite of self-control is self-indulgence. So if I were to ask you, would you like a life defined by hatred, despair, strife, frustration, cruelty, wickedness, treachery, a merciless existence of self-indulgence? Most people would say, um, no. <laughs> you, know, you put it that way. No, I, I, I don't want the life defined by that. I'd rather be led by the Spirit. I would too. I'd rather be led by the Spirit. And you'll remember that the life led by the Spirit, those characteristics, you know, love, joy, peace, all those things, we've talked about this before. We don't get there on our own. We need help to achieve that kind of, that kind of lifestyle. Now, if I could do it on my own, I wouldn't need the Spirit of God. Our job is to allow God to work in our lives. His job is to guide us and to lead us into a lifestyle that not only blesses us, but glorifies Him as well. His job is to make us better than we could ever be on our own. Now this year, we have spent a lot of time in the book of Acts. And in the book of Acts, we see people who are starting to take God up on His offer. And they are submitting to His Spirit. And you see these people going through just drastic changes. And... People are noticing this. People are, are seeing the, this little group of Jesus followers, and they're different. And they're living lives that are different. And these Jesus followers are pretty quick to say, hey, it's not us. 
It's not us. It really isn't. It's God. It's the love of Jesus. It's the power of the Spirit. We have spent quite a bit of time the last couple weeks talking about the Apostle Paul. As you read through the New Testament, I don't know that you'll find anyone whose life is more led by the Spirit than was Paul's. And I'm not sure you'll find anyone either who has led, been led farther from where they started to, to where they eventually wound up than was Paul. His life has drastically changed, being led by the Spirit. We're going to get to Acts this morning in a little bit, but actually I want to use as an anchor verse uh, a passage out of the book of Ephesians. Of course, Paul wrote it, uh, wrote the, the Christians in Ephesus, which he had met on uh, some of his journeys. But here's the passage, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. That is a good verse. If you don't have that verse underlined or starred in your Bible, um, then you don't write in your Bible, because that's a good verse. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Paul says here in Ephesians 4, do you want to honor God with your life? Then be kind. Be compassionate. Be forgiving. Why? Because that's when you start to look like Jesus. That's when your life starts to mirror the life of Jesus. Be kind. Be compassionate. Be forgiving. Did those qualities describe Paul? Well, certainly describes the Paul of Ephesians 4, doesn't it? Kindness, compassion, forgiveness, absolutely. Those characteristics do not define the Paul of Acts 7 and 8. I want to do a little bit of review this morning. I want to go back and look at an event that actually, as we went through this series, we skipped over. We didn't talk about this event in Acts chapter 7 uh, when we were there, and it's a really important event, but I want to go back and revisit it this morning. Acts chapter 7, verse 51 um, a guy by the name of Stephen has been arrested. Been arrested because he believes in Jesus. And he's brought before the Sanhedrin. Stephen's defense before the Sanhedrin is basically almost exactly what Peter preached in Acts chapter 2. Jesus Christ was, uh, Jesus of Nazareth was the Christ. You all killed him. God brought him back to life. The message, the defense from Stephen isn't received very well. So pick it up in verse 51. This is Stephen talking. You stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears. You're just like your fathers. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Stephen tells these people, you're not being led by the Spirit. You are resisting the Holy Spirit. The fruit that you're producing, that's opposite of what a spirit life would produce. Was there ever a prophet your fathers did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was put into effect through angels, but have not obeyed it. When they heard this, they were furious, gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God, Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this they covered their ears, yelling at the top of their voices. They all rushed at him dragging him out to the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. Whoop, there, there we go. Sorry. 
While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he said this, he fell asleep. That's how Acts chapter 7 ends. Here's how Acts chapter 8 begins. And Saul, who we know his name is later changed to Paul, Saul was there giving approval to his death. For the very first time, someone is killed because they believe in Jesus. This man, Stephen, is uh, dragged outside the city. He's stoned to death, which is such a barbaric way to put someone to death. And this man mentioned Saul here, but we know his name gets changed to Paul. He's standing and he is going along with it. And every time a stone finds its mark, you know, Paul is like, that's what you deserve. That's what you get. He's kind of cheering on the people who were stoning to death this troublemaker Stephen. Remember I said that the opposite of love was hate. And the opposite of kindness is cruelty. And the opposite of goodness is wickedness. And the opposite of being gentle is being merciless. In Acts chapter 7 and 8, Paul was not a spirit-led person. Not at all. He stood among that mob cheering them on. Paul heard the very last words that Stephen spoke. Lord, don't hold this sin against them. It's the last thing Stephen said before he died. Stephen never got a chance to write letters to anyone. Stephen never got a chance to write to a group of people, be kind, be compassionate, be forgiving. But he did have the chance to say, Father, don't hold this sin against them. And I think that Stephen genuinely wished good for the people that were putting him to death. He was asking God to forgive the very people who were throwing stones at him. What kind of a person does that? That is not a normal response. People don't wish good for the people who are trying to kill them unless that person is being led by the Holy Spirit. You don't get there on your own. You don't get where Stephen was on your own. Look at verse 55 again. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 7, Stephen's response was a spirit-led response. In Acts chapter 7, Paul's response was not a spirit-led response. When we first meet Paul, he's a bad guy. He's a dangerous man. In fact, Paul himself would tell Timothy in 1 Timothy 1.13, I was a blasphemer. I was a persecutor. I was a violent man. Paul says there was a time when I was a violent man. I was not, uh, uh, I was not a spirit-led person. And then we remember in Acts chapter 9, Paul is blinded on the way to Damascus. And he said, go, he's told, go into the city. Someone will tell you what to do. And he goes into the city and he's waiting and the Lord appears to a guy by the name of Ananias in a vision. And the Lord says, Ananias, I want you to go over to Straight Street. There's someone I want you to talk to. It's Saul of Tarsus. Do you remember Ananias' response? Nope. (laughs) No. No. Why would I want to go over and talk to Saul of Tarsus? I don't want to be in the same room with him. I don't want to be in the same city with him. I know Saul of Tarsus. I know his... uh, his reputation. I know why he's here. No. Thankfully for Paul, Ananias was a man 
who is led by the Spirit into kindness and compassion and forgiveness. And he does go talk to Saul of Tarsus. And Saul of Tarsus, who becomes Paul, becomes a follower of Jesus. And then Paul goes to Jerusalem, and he meets the other followers of Jesus. Remember what their response was? No, no. No, no. No. We don't want anything to do with this guy Paul, who used to be Saul. It's a trick. We can't trust him. He's going to arrest us. He's going to put us to death. Thankfully for Paul, there's a guy by the name of Barnabas who was led by the Holy Spirit into kindness and compassion and forgiveness. And by the time we get to Acts chapter 20, we're finally there, we're finally in Acts, the 20th chapter. By the time we get to Acts chapter 20, there's a couple bittersweet verses that really give us a glimpse of just how far Paul has been led by the Spirit. First half of that chapter deals with some of Paul's travels. Uh, we looked at some of it last week. You know, he's in Troas, and he preaches a long time, and Eutychus falls out the window. By the time you get towards the end of the chapter, Paul is in Miletus, and he sends for the elders at Ephesus to come join him. And in Acts chapter 20, verse 22, Paul tells these elders this. And now I'm going to Jerusalem drawn there irresistibly by the Holy Spirit. Paul says himself, I'm, I'm still being led by the Spirit. This is a Holy Spirit trip here. Not knowing what awaits me, except that the Holy Spirit has told me in city after city that jail and suffering lie ahead. I'm going there because that's where I'm being led by the Spirit, and all I know is whatever happens is going to be bad. But... My life is worth nothing unless I use it for doing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about God's wonderful kindness and love. Amen. And then Paul goes on and, and tells these men in verse 25, And now I know that none of you to whom I have preached the kingdom will ever see me again. Paul says this is it. We're never going to see each other again. This is goodbye. And some of you know that feeling. When someone that you care about, someone that you love, you're, you're saying goodbye to for the last time, that's hard. It was hard for, for these elders from, from Ephesus as well. Verse 36. When he had finished speaking, he knelt and prayed with them. They wept aloud as they embraced him in farewell. Sad most of all because he'd said that they would never see him again. Then they accompanied him down to the ship. I don't know how many times you have ever seen a group of men cry together, but I'm going to guarantee it hadn't been many. Not too many times you see a group of men crying together. We don't cry together very often. Shame on us. But here's a group of grown men who wept aloud as they told him goodbye, sad because they would never see him again. These men, by their actions, told Paul, you're special to us. By their tears, they tell Paul, listen, Paul, we love you. We are so grateful for you. We are going to miss you, Paul. We don't want to say goodbye for the last time. That's a long, long way from holding the coats of people who were murdering Stephen. 
And that is a long way from, you know, a guy named Ananias saying, I want nothing to do with this guy. I don't want to go anywhere near him. And that is a long way from a bunch of godly people in Jerusalem saying, it's a trick. He's going to trick us. He's going to arrest us. God led Paul somewhere. And he was led somewhere better. God led Paul from hatred to love, from cruelty to kindness, from wickedness to goodness. God led this one-time violent man into the guy that didn't just write these words, but actually stood up and lived these words. Be kind. Be compassionate. Forgive each other just as in Christ. God forgave you. Remember back in Acts chapter 7, Stephen tells the members of the Sanhedrin, you're just like your father's. You're resisting the Holy Spirit. I wonder sometimes if we aren't guilty of resisting the Holy Spirit. I wonder sometimes if we're not guilty of pushing back a little bit on the Holy Spirit. I know I have been. I've told some of you this before. Um, In a much younger life, I used to drive a tractor-trailer in Pennsylvania. It's been about five or six years uh, driving an 18-wheeler. I put myself through college, then after Martha and I were married, we lived in Pennsylvania for a couple years, and I drove a truck there. Same route every single day, same trip, 614 miles every day, 12 hours, left our farm, went to Hershey, Pennsylvania, picked up the product, took it almost to Pittsburgh, and came back to the farm every single day, same trip. There was one stretch of road right outside of Huntington, Pennsylvania that was a straight two-lane road, 60-mile-an-hour you know, speed limit. And in the middle of this long, straight stretch, there's this terrible bump in the road, just this, this just bone-rattling bump in the road. And the great state of Pennsylvania and all their dot wisdom, instead of fixing the bump, they back up 50 yards and put a sign that said, Bump. And for five years, I drove down that stretch of road as when I was empty. So I'd go over that bump, and it's just like my teeth would shake out of my head. And someone would knock the sign down, and they'd put the sign back up. A snowplow, you know, would obliterate the sign. They'd put the sign back up. And no matter how slow you went, it just hit you wrong, and you just, you just rattled your teeth. You know, I'd look at my mirrors. You know, what's falling off this time? And I would always say to myself which you can talk to yourself when you're driving a truck by yourself. Right, Craig? That's okay. Yeah. I'd always yell to myself, quit putting up warning signs, fix the road. Now, why don't they just fix the road instead of keep putting this sign back up? I think sometimes as Christians, we are guilty of just putting some warning signs up and not fixing the road. If I warn you of a characteristic that I have, I've done my part. I've got a bad temper. You know it. Everybody knows it. You need to act accordingly. You know, walk on eggshells around me, I've got a bad temper. It's just the way I am. I'm not a very patient person. I'm just not. Everybody knows it, so deal with it. You know, I can be a little bit abrasive. I get it. I'm not very gentle. It's the way God made me. No, that is not the way God made you. 
God created you to be led by the Holy Spirit into a life characterized by love and joy and peace and patience. All those things, that's who we're created to be. And by the way, none of us are there yet. So a little bit of grace, okay? But none of us are there. None of us have arrived. You know, we're all on this journey. If we are living a spirit-led life, we are in the process of being transformed. I don't care how long you've worked in the kingdom. You are in the process of being transformed because we're created to grow and to change and, and to mature. Second Corinthians chapter 3. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And we, who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. We are being transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory. Here's the deal. If the Holy Spirit moves, nothing and no one will stop Him. If the Holy Spirit moves, no no one's going to stop Him. If the Holy Spirit does not move, we're not going to produce fruit. Not the fruit that matters. Not the fruit that counts. And we as a church, really we become irrelevant when we try to make this some kind of a uh, you know, human uh, institution. Depending on our own ability and our own wisdom, we just become irrelevant. We desperately need the Holy Spirit in our lives. You're going to be in a situation this week and you're going to have to decide how you're going to respond. Someone's going to do something to you. Something's going to happen, and, and you're, going to, you're going to have to decide, how am I going to respond? I would encourage you to remember Paul, just how far he was led from this violent man that nobody could trust to a man who would write, be kind, be compassionate, be forgiving just as in Christ God forgave you. The Holy Spirit is leading you closer to the heart of Jesus. God wants us to know, hey, you are blood-bought and you are spirit-taught. And I want you to be more and more like my son Jesus, transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory. That's just one thing that the Holy Spirit does. He leads us somewhere better. But I feel pretty sure that there's some people listening to me right now and you're thinking to yourself, I'm not someplace better right now. I don't think I'm better. In fact, my life's kind of a mess. I'm struggling. This isn't how I scripted it. I'll encourage you to remember Stephen. Who at the, the very worst moment of his life physically... We're told he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And even in that moment, as stones begin to fly, as he's being murdered, remember what God did? He gave him a glimpse of heaven when Stephen needed it the most. God granted Stephen this glimpse of heaven. 
And I really believe that when we're in our deepest valley, if we're paying attention, God will give you a glimpse of heaven. When you need it the most, you're not alone. God's still there. Or, or maybe this morning you're thinking, man, I'm in a comfortable place right now. I read my Bible, I can't find one single person in Scripture where God calls to a comfortable life. He wants us to grow. He wants us to stretch. He wants us to be transformed. He wants us to be living a life that's led by the Holy Spirit. And let me tell you, that's where the adventure begins. When we begin to submit to the leading of the Holy Spirit. I don't know what's going on in your life this weekend, this week. I don't know what you're going to face, what you're going to go through. I do know that God wants you to be led by the Spirit. That God wants us to be kind and compassionate and forgiving. Let's not be guilty of resisting the Holy Spirit. Listen, as a church family, if we can help you in any way, we've got a song we're going to use as a song of encouragement. There'll be some people here at the front of the auditorium. You can meet us there. We'll help you any way we can. Let's stand and be singing.